Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to three. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. We are right in between Indian Wells and Miami right now. So uh, Indian Wells in the books. Now we will take it to the East Coast. Amy and I will both be going to Miami. Uh, And obviously for this episode of three, we don't have a lot of uh, or we have zero results as far as Nadal and Djokovic are concerned to discuss. Uh, But we we were talking And there are a bunch of topics that we are all interested in discussing, and I think that you guys are going to enjoy very much. Uh, We'll get into Alcaraz. We're going to get into Medvedev. And we want to talk about the women's game as well. Let's start there. I feel like we're all on the same page right now. We feel like there has been a little bit of a shift towards stability at the top of women's tennis, which the men's game, thanks to the players largely thanks to the players who we focus on on this show have had a very long 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 era of stability at the top of the game and the women's game especially in the post serena era has not had that but it 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 feels like that might be shifting is that what you're thinking amy yes i tweeted could we have the next big three ish or triangular rivalry and you got to understand like I watch other sports I take breaks from tennis I'll go even a couple of weeks without really watching much and then I'll dial back in and my eyes are really fresh and I'm my antennas are up for things that look really different to me and the, these three players, Rybakina, Sabalenka, and Sviantek, we may be onto something here because watching the contests play out the way that they have in Indian Wells and Australia, I just think the speeds are different, the tactics are different, the serving, um, especially from Sabalenka and Rybakina, is next level and i'm finally really really drawn to women's tennis in a way that i haven't been in quite some time you know i would call it having i was just in wells for 10 days and um i think i would use the word i I would call it more dominance than stability i don't seek stability in sports i think we're just looking for some sometimes we'd like to see dominance because that stability would imply well instability i think we're looking at just Let, let, let me let me interrupt dominance is stable Fine. Okay, good. All right. We'll, we'll take our dictionaries <laughs> and we'll carry on. I like that. I like that. Um, so anyway, um, those three, I think the serve is particularly an important part of what's making them so good. And uh, it was really interesting to see that. I mean, to see Rabakana, I spent some time with her. I had did a, a one-on-one interview with her and wrote a story about her and see how, how tranquil she is. I mean, her, it's like her, her brilliant opaqueness. And when I was watching her play the final versus Sabalenka, I said to him, well, how do you like your, how do you like your, your power with the volume on or with the volume off? 
And and they're both great players. I mean, Sabalenka has made some major improvements in the last year and won her first major. Rabakina won Wimbledon. Iga holds the other two. So, yeah, here we have something. I mean, we're not going to do this whole assertion. How and we, Oh, well, you're only 60 slams short of the three. We get that. But in a way, there's something might be coalescing that's exciting yes. and to play. And and this has happened before. And in, 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 it's, it's often a... a three-legged thing it was there was Everett Navratilova and Tracy Austin there was Connors Borgen McEnroe there these things it kind of works that way to a degree and so it's exciting to ponder particularly as we head into Miami where uh everyone each of them has a feeling they could win Miami the defending champion others who the other two have did really well in Indian Wells and uh and then on on into the clay so it's very uh it's exciting time and and let's be clear about kind of what brought this about. The obvious part is, yes, we have had a, a rematch of the Australian Open final in the Indian Wells final, which is rare and it tells you something. But even if you look at the race coming into Indian Wells, it was number one, Sabalenka, number two, Rybakina, and number three, Sviantek. And then at the end of the tournament, well, there are the three uh, at the end of another big tournament once again. The other aspect is it's in such a stark contrast to last year where the prevailing question throughout 2022 was, wait, who's Iga's challenger? Like, who mm -hmm. is it? And the answer, for the most part, was like, hmm, doesn't really exist. Right. And now we have the two other players who have captured slams last year. I like uh, I like the way Rabakina plays. I so like her um, subdued, the way her stroke, she doesn't appear to have a pulse and she's just so low key. Someone was telling me they thought she was uh, boring. I said, there's no, no, nothing is inherently boring. Nothing is inherently that way. I'm not looking for her to sound like, uh, give some great sound bites. And she says some thoughtful, she's not rude. She's just, she's just playing tennis and her racket is speaking plenty. Ah, and Sabalenka is terrific too. It was interesting, Iga's comments after this last loss to Rybakina, she said something along the lines of, she didn't, it was not really an insult if you read the whole quote in, in context, so please, you know, don't take that this way, but she said that it was more me, Iga, my errors, my mistakes, and as we know, <laughs> that's how you win, you force the other person to make errors or, or force them out of their comfort zone. Um, but it's interesting how Iga has viewed this set of losses at the Australian Open and Indian Wells and um, just a, a fabulous rivalry going forward. Somebody, when I tweeted about this, somebody said, oh, what about Osaka? You know, no, I, I think that she will return. She probably will return if, if she does, but if I think she will. And the game will be changed. That's what I'm seeing. I think the speeds are st are increasing, ratcheting up, and the serves. And you know, you've got to be an elite server, and you're going to have to return. You know, these ladies' serves. So I, I think we're in the midst of a very exciting time in women's tennis. Well, we'll see with Osaka because she's pretty good at those two important shots. But you're right; the game keeps moving forward, and so we'll see. I, I hope she does come back because she's great i mean she's Me won four majors i think with uh with with Iga, i think it's interesting to see you know there's that line between taking responsibility for losing 
being aware of what you did to have that happen. And then the whole giving credit part and, and calibrating that again, it's been a while since she's had to do that too often because she played so well last year and won so many significant titles though. I did, I was a little um, disturbed to see her talking at length about an injury. I think, I think it's more sporting not to until it, if it gets discovered, you can say something to it and may, and be as concise as possible. But uh, I think you're right. Two losses in a row at big events to someone like that. And, and the other thing with uh, Robachna, she kind of gives you nothing to dig into other than her racket. Like Jimmy Connors once said, it was very hard for him to play Bjorn Borg. You couldn't find anything to hate about him. And she's yeah. just kind of going about it. She has this detachment, which which is a thing that's taught by teachers. A teacher I work with, Steve Stefanke, talks about it. He's all, she's almost detached from her outcome expectation. And she just hits the tennis ball. Andy Roddick said that about Roger Federer. It was hard to hate him. It was hard to get fired up to play Roger. And I think they had to consciously work at developing the killer instinct to try to kill this really nice guy across the net who keeps beating me. Well, so, when you draw on that to win matches, that's the, that's the peril of drawing on some manufactured emotion to try to beat someone rather than just, you know, Nadal doesn't have any animus towards his opponents it's just towards the ball and the game so it's just these ways about how people construct themselves right nadal yeah. would rather beat someone he likes yeah no that's a fascinating aspect and while we're on this topic i think it should definitely be said iga is not shy about talking about who she modeled her game after she even has said in interviews that she growing up did not watch a lot of women's tennis did not watch a, a vast array of men's tennis either. Watched Rafa Nadal. She was a Nadal fan, and that is where her kind of heavy topspin game that was even more apparent in 2020 when she first won Roland Garros. She's changed a little bit from, from that point, but I feel like she's developed the most gifted modern forehand in WTA history. And I think it's because she saw Nadal and she was like, oh, that's the forehand that I am trying to achieve. I would, I like that. I think though, also though, though now this is these rivals, this is like the first time in her period of ascent where she's, oh, oh, there are challengers. I'm not, yes. I'm not just beating people and the people are, are, are beating me and, and she's got to kind of problem solve that and figure some things out. It's also, that Indian Wells, that's the slowest hard court in the world. And I saw so many points where players would, should I stay or should I go? And then you get passed and you're going to get passed more. And so you got to then hunker down and you're back behind the court. It, it's, and then it's the, it's the slow bounce and the thin air. So yes. the ball, like, uh, it, you know, if you, it's funny, I was thinking about this. I played there years ago with a friend and we really enjoyed it because we were getting depth. We were getting more depth. But now that I've improved some of my ground strokes when I played there, oh, they're going long. You know, it's really tricky to calibrate things in that thin air. I mean, Miami will be interesting to see because that's a totally different condition. And you guys are going to be there. It'll be interesting to see how it's thicker air. Uh, court's probably not as slow. And then we'll move on to clay where conceivably Iga would have the edge over Rybakina. And the rivalry would continue there because... Elena's serve would be mitigated somewhat on the clay surface. So I would love to see them meet during clay season. Hopefully that'll happen. 
the serves. We, we should point out though that uh, Rybakina is not three in the world. I mean, these two are not; these three are not one, two, three. Sabalenka is two in the world, so Rybakina has the hot hand right now, and that's why we're talking about her. But you know, there's Pagula and you know others. Krejcikova, others in front of her. had had that incredible run in in the Middle East where she. She took out one, two, three in the world, plus Kasakina. Like the best run of the year has been Krejcikova's. Uh, I think so Krejcikova I, is. I think Krejcikova is 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 terrific. She's got so many skills. I just like to see her kind of sustain it uh, more often. She's such a versatile player. So it's a really, yeah, it's a really exciting time in women's tennis. Yeah, we're talking about the race. I mean, things happened last year with Wimbledon. Sabalenka was banned from playing it. Rebecca, like all the other players who played it didn't get her points and who paid for that most, but the player who, who won the tournament and uh, other players too would have gotten points. So it's just the, the, the point race now is a good, is a better indicator. Yeah. Uh, we could talk more about, I feel like the, their games, but uh, we, uh, we should move on to, to some other topics here. It's a good thing to monitor though. Absolutely. And, mm -hmm. and this was good. Uh, so, Let's go to Alcaraz, the champion. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com who uh, was playing his first hardcourt tournament of the season and was coming off a hamstring strain in Rio de Janeiro. So coming in, it was like, oh, is he going to be healthy? Is he going to be at his best? And I thought that, you know, that was legitimately, you know, those were fair questions. And then he completely hit the ground running and it was an unbelievable run. I thought Yannick Sinner was playing a great level. He got through Sinner and then he ended Daniil Medvedev's 19 match win streak. The, uh, the strange thing in regards to what's going on with Alcaraz is he wasn't playing in January because he was injured and Djokovic was dominating. And then now Djokovic isn't playing here in, in March and in February and Alcaraz is dominating and we won't get them together until April. But it's, it's strange because what it feels unresolved it feels unresolved because not that one match is going to tell us everything, but it seems like there's that tier one. And some people gave me a little bit of, of resistance when I said Alcaraz is tier one at the beginning of the year with Djokovic. Uh, maybe I'd get less resistance if I said it now, but I feel like that's the tier one. And unfortunately, it feels like they're taking turns playing one at a time instead of playing together. Yeah, it is. That is unfortunate. And so we'll just have to kind of patiently sit until clay court season and yeah. see what happens when they come, how they come in with each other. I think we're got, I think we're part of me is looking, Hmm, that Roland Garros draw who you got him. I mean, you've got to figure that Alcaraz, Novak and Rafa are the three primary contenders at Roland Garros, even though we're months away and there's health and all these other factors. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. In the meantime, Alcaraz watching him at Indian Wells, the, the cult around Carlos as you guys know, the practice courts at Indian Wells are a great feature of the event, and they were just packed. I, I'm 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 looking to the time they're going to monetize those, and say you know you gotta you gotta show like a a, a, a two dollar something. Either way, 
They already don't have. Don't give don't them you. any ideas. Don't give them any ideas. Yeah, you got to sure. buy a <laughs> ticket. I'm That's sure one of the simple it. pleasures of going to a tennis tournament. Well, is... the, 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 the watching him, the audience watching him practice, it was just rock and roll. And the enthusiasm yeah. he brings to everything, to seeing the sky. I mean, there was a point in the center semifinal. It was when he was, oh, what, no, it wasn't, wasn't when he was down set point. It was another one maybe to consolidate a break. Great backhand half volley down the line, like a John McEnroe shot. Stick the forehand volley down the line. Then hit a backhand angle overhead. Oh, it's not going to be a winner. In comes Sinner. Carlos is back. Oh, yeah, I'll hit a topspin lob and end the point. He had four shots that each could be a highlight reel. In yeah. one point. <laughs> we, we talk about, like, with Djokovic and Nadal, we talk about God mode. Oh, he's gone into God mode. For Alcaraz's energizer bunny mode, if he doesn't have an injury keeping him down, he goes into energizer bunny mode and it's really unstoppable. But what, what I was thinking about when Medvedev made that comment in the um, trophy ceremony about how Alcaraz must have said hi to 400 people in one day or whatever it was he said, uh, I realized like, okay, this is who this guy is. He's decided he's going to play the respectful card and the halo over my head and Mr. Nice Guy. And it occurred to me that for people who are suffering because Roger Federer has retired and feeling like, now what do I do? My favorite is gone. And then they're grieving how easy it is to transfer your fandom from Roger over to this guy because of the similarity in the way they conduct themselves. And the way they play the points. Like I made a joke. And of course, it's a joke that's not a joke. That is a joke. After that point, I just described, I turned to someone, I go, Roger who? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously not, but still, I think the, uh, the joy baseball player, one of the great baseball players, Willie Mays, was known as the Say Hey Kid. And he brought this energy just like Magic Johnson and Patrick Mahomes. It's like, yeah, let's just play. Let's play. Love yeah. to play. Does anybody smile more? No. Nobody. I don't think anyone's ever smiled more, ever. I mean, <laughs> you should compare the smilometer of all the number ones also. Yeah. You know, he's already, yeah, no, he, you see him at his press conference, he's smiling and he's, he's greeting people. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. And I I also think the Federer comparison, that's that's who he has always uh said who, you know, he plays like more than Nadal when everybody was was slapping the Nadal thing on because he's trying to end points on his terms. And the reason I bring that up is because my big takeaway from the Medvedev match, besides some of the variety we saw the serve and volley was actually from the baseline, just the, the discipline and the patience that he brought to the court. Because that's where I feel like he has not really taken from, I'm going to put Murray in this, Murray, Djokovic, and Nadal. The elk of really valuing the ability to limit the errors, to not miss. And that's where I, I don't think he's ever really bought into that. This Medvedev final was the first time I saw him at times you know, be in these backhand and backhand exchanges and been like, okay, I, I understand that I need to be patient right now. And that's going to give me the best chance. Totally agree with you, Gail, because he's the creator. So he, he wants to make, and that's where the Federer connection comes in. 
and he wants to he wants to find a way to crack the point open. And with Medvedev, as we've seen, that can be dangerous. So instead, you realize when you play someone like Medvedev, Medvedev is mostly always going to give you a chance to miss. He's going to look for you. He's going to give you a chance to overplay and make a stupid decision. So hang there, hang there, and you'll get your and you'll get your shot. And then you have to execute. And Alcaraz can kind of kick it into gear. But you see, you see, it's inter- it'll be interesting to see how Medvedev, a pleasing run this la- these last few weeks, winning tournaments and winning matches, but at the same time hitting against the wall of some of his limitations, just like he did in the Australian Open final last year versus Nadal. They see Alcaraz, that was a that was a dispatching. What was that about seventy one minutes? Five games. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned Andy Murray because looking at the Miami Open draw, Alcaraz and Murray could play each other in the third round. Mm-hmm. So, and the way Andy's playing right now, he's pushing everybody. It doesn't matter if you're a subpar sub 200 in the world or you're three in the world. Andy Murray is going to push you and push you. So that could be an interesting match. I suspect Alcaraz has some fatigue. But just going back to what you were saying before, Gil, about um, how he played well against Medvedev from the baseline, that's part of what makes him so exciting because I remember watching the match and thinking, is Carlos going to come in on this one or is he going to battle from the baseline? I just don't know. Is there any rhyme or reason to what he's doing or is it a feel thing? And it just adds that extra layer of excitement. Well, I think it's a number of things. You know, I heard someone say, talk about his brilliance and his things. They said, oh, that's just... Maybe that's just in his DNA. I, I don't believe that. I think tennis players learn things. That doesn't mean they're overly coached, trained. There's, they're, they're, it's, it's how you learn the game and how you practice and how when you're young in the formative stages, I mean, whether the things you work on and the instructor who helps you sharpen them and the routines you do. And you can just see he's just like devoured the breadth of tennis. That's what made, it's similar to what Federer had done in a way, in his way. Like, yeah, drop shots, volleys. There's a whole literature out there for me to avail myself of. So why not eat it up? And and he obviously got was proficient and dedicated, and there must have been enough results to encourage him to keep doing it. And uh, it's this very uh, it's a real breath of fresh air. I mean, he could play a ball boy, and it would be exciting. I think for Medvedev, amazing run, amazing run, but. The feeling, I guess, that I got from the final is Medvedev must be thinking, oi, another guy who's going to serve and volley and do it really, really, really well and challenge my core position with the drop shot and he's going to do it better than anyone else. I mean, because Medvedev, there are a lot of matchups for him. I mean, he has owned the Zverev head-to-head. He is, uh, He's played uh, Sinner really, really well. He plays Djokovic tougher on hard courts over the course of the last three, four years than really anybody. Uh, mm-hmm. But Kyrgios seems to give him fits. And I feel like Alcaraz in the same way might be able to do that. The disruptive attackers, because yeah. they, you know, Kyrgios, I mean, put aside his personality, when he's playing well, he's a very tactically adroit player. He's pick mix the he's holding steady from the baseline. He's coming in. And then and then these guys sometimes who kind of draw Medvedev in not one of my favorite terms, but it happens. You see some of Medvedev's volley technique? I mean that was not pro level volley technique, particularly on the forehand volley. So he is not 
very comfortable up there. And so he may need to see, wow, I need to hit them before they hit me. So he it's might. It's so obvious the playbook against this against Medvedev for for Alcaraz because one of his biggest weapons or best tools is the drop shot, and Medvedev, no secret about it, doesn't like being in that part of the court. So he's pretty good though, I think, when he gets to drop shots, at actually hitting it really hard when whenever he yeah. kind of tracks. If he can it down. hit a winner if he can turn if he can run down that drop shot and hit a pass off it and whip his way out of the point, that's fine. But yeah. he has to defend net positioning and be in that place. Yeah, that is that, not... that would be interesting to look at. Does the rally extend be beyond the drop shot itself? And what are Medvedev's percentages there? If he can, you know, hit a winner off of that, chase it down, um, or if it extends past that shot. You know, he he does look uncomfortable. I think Sinner's going to be playing, will play better against Medvedev more because I was impressed with seeing Sinner's improvement and things he's putting into his game. I mean, he's his striking is very impressive, but he's learned to, he's learning to become somewhat more comfortable in other parts of the court, somewhat. But Alcaraz yeah. is already, it's like there and he's only a teenager. Yeah. I have to say, I'm disappointed in Medvedev. I don't like the complaining about the court and the slowness of it. And and by the way, he made the finals. So how, how bad could it really be? His, his one grand slam is on a hard court, um, probably slower than average. I mean, it's like, dude, what do you want here? Um, I, I would, I would like to see him add some dimension to his game before he starts complaining about the courts. India Wells court much slower than that US Open court he won on though, if I may. But he and 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 the thin air part and his ball and and just not feeling comfortable. So you're you're giving him No, no, I don't like to... No, I don't like it when players complain. I mean, I don't like I think I think complaining it's almost like a form of tanking. It's a pre it's a way you're you're writing a story that lets you off the hook instead of just getting down to your business. So Joel, would would the Indian Wells hardcourt be farther away from the US open hardcourt than Clay would be from the US open hardcourt? I think so. I think really? so. Really? I think Clay is interesting. Clay I agree. Is interesting. Clay is an interesting thing these days is that Clay, you know, Clay has gotten faster as players have been able to the, the racket heads, the racket head speed era has made clay a different type of clay than kind of the classic defense clay of bygone years. So I think, and clay can, you know, the ball can die more on clay, the drop, you know, different things, you know, certain volleys work better on clay, uh, slow hard courts as slow as Indian Wells. That's a really, that's a really tough sledding. And also the physical impact of it. I mean, he was really, it was this Zverev match where he was most, uh, perturbed right and Zverev has got a good kind of game for slow hard players players move better on hard a little bit they have better footing they have better grip so that's an aspect of it as well uh I I don't mind the Medvedev complaining though I think it was uh highly entertaining I don't know that I would yeah I what does that not count I I thought it was entertaining i don't think it harms anybody i like players to show their personality on the court and what they're thinking if i were his coach i might say 
hey, guy, you want to focus in here and stop being a, a victim and put your head down and see what you can do and problem solve? Yes, if I were his coach, I'd say that. But from my perspective, it doesn't bother me that he's complaining. Very interesting. I just think it doesn't advance his cause. I guess the fan, yeah, it's like, okay, I can watch it. And this guy's kind of whining and a lot of us whine and get upset. I think it doesn't, it's not helping him. It, it's not helping him compete better. It's, so that's kind of feel, I feel bad for his, but look at this though. It's very interesting. We got all these, these players we're talking about, uh, Rabakina, Medvedev, Alcaraz, a lot of interesting personalities and demeanors out there. It, it's kind of interesting. It's almost like the, you know, après le big three is this whole other <laughs> realm. Yeah, Medvedev's an amazing personality. I, I think he has a lot of uh, a lot of sense of humor and also a lot of thoughtfulness. But more than anything, it's just I don't think he he has that kind of media trained thing about him. Uh, I feel like he will actually tell it to you straight. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's given us something to talk about. So, and and he really is one of my favorite players to watch and cover. So, fair point. Okay, Miami, real quick. Um, it, it is quite the adjustment. I remember last year, there's only two players who made the quarters at both Indian Wells and Miami on the men's side. Two players. So Alcaraz was one. Do either of you remember the second one? Was that Casper Rude? Nope. Perkach? Nope. Amy? Um... Curios? Nope. Okay, I'm gonna say it. Wait, wait, no, you're gonna give okay. us a hint. You're gonna give us a hint. Uh hint. Um he has mm, that's a tough hint. All right, Let's just see. give it. That's Miamir okay. Ketsmanovich. Oh. We would have been here a long time. That would have been <laughs> yeah, a yeah. Wow. <laughs> guys, he's wow. Yeah. He's the only him and Alcaraz were the only guys remember he played that epic quarterfinal against Alcaraz in Miami. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, it's kind of a tough a tough thing for me because I'm I'm really high on the players who did well at Indian Wells, whether it be, you know, namely uh, Sinner, uh, Alcaraz, and um, and Medvedev, uh, Fritz as well. But at the same time, it, it seems like a lot of players can't do well at both, so it puts me in an interesting position. Uh, Amy, I know that you've completed your your preview. I have not completed mine, so I'm curious to hear what uh, how you looked at it. Well, I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago on Ben Shelton, and I picked him as a dark horse semifinalist. Um, I picked some unusual names. I picked Tiafo. Um, and, and a lot of this has to do with um, the quarters that these people are in. Mm -hmm. And um, I picked Alcaraz, although I, I'm a little concerned about fatigue. And Tsitsipas, who is the top seed in, you know, one quarter, I think is going to be looking ahead to clay season. I just, he loves clay. It's his favorite surface. He hasn't been playing well. So, um, so yeah. He's got, he's got a, a, a shoulder injury and I don't know why he's playing, frankly. Th that's, he may pull out at some point, but Tiafo is in that quarter and that's a big reason yeah. why I picked Francis to come through. And then I picked Sinner to come through. So there you go. Okay. So, so Alcaraz 
is does have what it takes to win this sunshine double becoming the youngest guy ever to do it well i mean it's one of those things where it is until he proves otherwise you know it's like you a guy like this you don't want to pick against or or doubt um Mm -hmm. and and just a a note that i picked center because uh he was struggling with those blisters last year i think he would have had a really good run because he had been playing well um if he hadn't had to withdraw because of the blisters and he got to the finals in 21 yeah lost to her yeah uh interesting i mean i don't know um it's an interesting tournament yeah it is interesting about that how how the players play in each of them and the and whether the weather and the courts i suspect the disparity between the speed of the courts gotten further in in years i mean indian wells was indian wells has been slow for a long time but it wasn't always this slow it wasn't always that slow in the times when people like um like uh courier and chang and sampras did that double have we noticed a difference in court speed from crandon park to hard rock stadium you tell me i'm not i don't I, that would be that's a an onside question. I don't know. I wonder about that. Uh, what the thing I've heard about Miami, I, I don't totally have a handle on this. I should investigate this more. But there's a big disparity between the stadium court and the outer courts. Um, I think the stadium court supposedly is faster, much faster. Um, unlike other tournaments where, you know, there's there's some difference between the show courts and, and the other courts. I think this tournament in particular, there's a huge difference. I also think, um, uh, I believe at least, and I don't maybe they fixed this, that the first year or two in the New Miami place, the field courts were east-west or something. They weren't all properly north-south. Is, do you recall some of that, either of you guys? I, I I do not, but let's let's explain. So that that becomes a sun issue, correct? And a wind, yeah. and, a wind and a wind issue, and kind of a wind uh, issue. The the first year that I went, th- this will be the third time that I've been to the new setup. The first year I went, it was cloudy almost the entire time, or I was on the in the stadium court, which is very unusual, by the way. It's it's a stadium for football and. And the way they have it set up, they did the best they could, but it's unusual to say or the was, least. Or was the stadium? No, the wind is the wind is interesting. Like I, you know, in California, it's often a crosswind that goes from west to east that often happens. I was playing someone once, playing doubles, and this person was lobbing like gangbusters from across the court, and I realized east-west court. So then instead of it being kind of in the cross, it was going right with the wind. It was like running. So if the wind is going a certain kind of way, an east-west court can affect. The wind too, and sun. I I think it's just interesting to explore. I don't know about the speed. How the well, speed- the the outer courts are temporary, so they can change the angles. And and right. now that you say that, I remember grandstand looking at grandstand last year and going, "That's caddy corner. <laughs> that seems like moved." So you may be onto something there. Okay, so that's something. Maybe when you guys can are there, you can kind of get a little bit of the. Uh, the four one one, yeah, we will. Uh, Amy and I will will go investigate the direction of the courts. Joel is so smart. I wouldn't. I would never figure that out in a million years uh, out there on the court. That's for sure. Oh, mid match? No, I would never figure that out. I would not be thinking east, west, north, south. It doesn't even mean anything to me. I'm. I'm. 
I I plug where wherever I have to go, I plug it in my GPS and I I go where it tells me to go. I need to know these things. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm an indoor player, so it, I I'm always thinking about north, south, east, west, and I, you know, in my pipe dream, I think, oh, I'll have a court someday, and when I do, I'm going to position it exactly where I like the sun, or I like to play in the morning, and and all that stuff. Well, you could also do. I know there's a there's a joke all the time about someone who who got a court and they put the they put the fence on the side of the ad court really close so they could hit the slice serve. <laughs> smart smart wow wow home home court advantage uh, to the max in that case can't wait for miami another two weeks we will talk to you after that as we head into monte carlo at that point uh maybe we'll talk to you during miami because of course uh, amy and i again will be there if you're in miami, i'll bring my headsets look look out for us look out for us say hi that'll do it for this episode of three remember we're available on all podcast platforms we appreciate it if you leave a rating and review on apple and spotify and if you're watching on youtube like comment and subscribe we'll see you next time on the next episode of three